welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 286 for December 7th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about low-toxicity walnut finish, making raised panels, and selecting proper drawer depth. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank some generous donors. Uh, Greeners Designs, that's an individual, but I guess they have a business name on their account. Greeners Designs, Jamie Chikowski, Peter Filardo, Raymond Everett and Carl Luff. Thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. And if you want to help out too, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com and look over in the side column for those donation links. Just, uh, you know, small amounts, recurring donations, one-time donations, whatever you want to do, every little bit helps. And we certainly appreciate your support. And make sure that if your last name is easy to pronounce, did you spell it really weird so Mark can't pronounce it? <laughs> it doesn't so if take... It's Smith, spell it with a Y yeah, and an E. Exactly. And it really doesn't take much to throw <laughs> me off. Uh, I'm pretty terrible at it, but I, I do the best I can. It's all in good fun. And uh, you may have heard a little giggle there from another guest host. I don't know what's in the water lately. I mean, this is like our second guest host this year. That's never happened before. I'm a little shocked. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So we have a very special guest. Jay Bates is on the show. You may know him from his uh, woodworking channel on YouTube. Of course, Jay's Custom Creations and also his website, jayscustomcreations.com. Welcome to the show, Jay. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No, this is great. I'm glad you can make it. And uh, like we promised, we were going to try to go to a couple of notable figures, people that we interact with and uh, enjoy watching their stuff and have them on the show and make them work, you know, because we don't interview people. We just put them to work. (laughs) So I think that's that's more fun. I mean, you get to hear from them. You get to hear their perspectives and it's not just the same old boring interview stuff. Uh, Not that your life is boring, Jay. I would love to hear that, Uh, but I want to hear that on someone else's show. It's actually quite boring. The day-to-day <laughs> stuff is just quite boring. Okay. All right, cool. So let's just jump right into it. Let's get into what's on the bench. Uh, for me, I've been building houses, and they're all made of gingerbread, which nice. is delicious. Yeah, it's that time of year, right? So we picked up it, – it, although it's getting lazier every year, right? The, fir- like, the first few years that we did it, it's you get the pre-made gingerbread pieces, and you kind of put the frosting between them, so you assemble the house, and then you decorate the house we went to a whole new level of lazy. Now we buy pre-assembled gingerbread houses and all we have to do is decorate them. I don't know what kind of example wow. I'm setting for my son with that. But it's uh, now, now when you join the walls <laughs> together, do you use gingerbread dominoes or is this more of a, I try to, but there's too much criticism out there when you use gingerbread dominoes. Frankly, people really get upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't cut your own gingerbread dominoes, you're not a woodworker. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. try to next time. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, gingerbread cane, houses. Cane pocket screws. Yeah, that's right. It's a ton of fun and uh, I enjoy doing it and uh, then we get to eat it afterwards and it tastes terrible, but who cares, right? So uh, aside from that, woodworking wise, I am getting ready for the next project, No Rest for the Weary, and started to revisit a bed design that I came up with probably last year and we had changed beds since then. So this was a, a, a sort of platform bed with storage that I had designed, but really most of the design was in the headboard because it's kind of the, the statement part of the piece. And since then, while Nicole was pregnant, we had to get one of those adjustable type beds because she was in some like serious pain. And the only way she could get comfortable was to be elevated. So we're like, all right, fine. These things are ridiculously expensive, but we'll, we'll try it. So we got one of these things. And basically, you just kind of take the guts out of the old bed frame out. And all you have are the, the headboard and the footboard and the side rails. And this thing just plops right in the middle. So I was like, well, 
okay, I'm not going to do the platform bed with storage, but if I just gut that design and just put on some simple rails to connect the footboard and headboard, um, I could still go forward with this project. So that's kind of what I'm doing is adapting it to something a little bit simpler, no storage and just in a SketchUp phase at this point. But that's the next project I'll be doing uh, probably next week uh, and getting that out on the free site, which should be pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So when you got your Craftmatic adjustable bed, did you get the free VCR or <laughs> did you get the microwave? Uh, no, I got the Sports Illustrated football phone. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, man, that takes me back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually a sleep number thing, you know, and those, those things oh, right are expensive. It, it's yeah, they are. ridiculous. But, you yeah, know, when you're pregnant, you can't find the price easily on a product, yeah. you know you're in trouble. Well, when your pregnant wife asks for something, it's a really bad idea to say no. So. Yeah. So we have that now and it's, it's, I'm excited to do it. Cause I think this old bed, it's a little long in a tooth. It's time to be replaced. So that's it for me though. Uh, Shannon, what do you have going on? Uh, I didn't build a single gift last Christmas. So I guess, uh, karmic synergies caught up with me and I am slammed. I've got a bunch of boxes that I'm building. Did you know that, um, adult coloring books for adults are a thing now? Apparently it's like all the rage. Really? But yeah. Yeah. It's like, super meditative and like relaxing and people who live stressful jobs and things like that, they can just color and it's a way to chillax. Um, there are actually membership sites out there now for like people who want adult coloring books. Well, what are we doing here guys? Let's get on it. <laughs> yeah. There's so money anyway, to be I'm made. Building crayons or kids crayons. <laughs> right. You got a special <laughs> one. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't call them adult coloring books. That <laughs> well, that just takes my else. brain to a whole different place. <laughs> yeah. Right. Frankly, I wouldn't mind a coloring book like that. It might be fun. Yeah, you need all those. Uh, you don't need too many different colors. Anyway, um, so I'm building um, pencil boxes. Uh, my wife is giving uh, some of these coloring books and like a set of colored pencils to sell several of her close friends and colleagues. And of course, I'm on the hook to build fancy pencil boxes for all of them. So it's it's kind of fun because it's um, she specifically wants them to be very kind of plain very minimalist you know mm-hmm. her original thought was to, to harken back to the old like cardboard pencil box that you used to have in school with like the little flip up lid and everything and i quickly you know, explained to her that that would be really difficult to do and wood that thin and have hinges and all that and, sure you know i know they make those little barbed hinges that go in with the little tiny like sawzall like a dremel cutoff wheel slot but i didn't want to go to all that trouble so i'm making the slide off lid box where it just fits into grooves on the side and it's kind of fun because seeing as she wants it very minimalist it's it's forcing me to edit because i've got all this oh i can put this plug here and i can do a like a, a pillowed ebony plug there she's like no i just want them plain <laughs> keep it simple so just stupid a, yeah it's just a simple half lap frame um, i am making a raised panel for the bottom panel even though it's on the bottom, just because, you know, why not? I've got to, yeah. I, I've got to cut rabbits for the panel to fit into grooves anyway, so I might as well make it a raised panel. Um, but the the other interesting thing about this is I'm trying to figure out ways to kind of design it so that it can be mass-produced easily. Hmm. And, you know, mass production, when you're talking hand tools only, is it's kind of a different thing. Does it know? exist, so, frankly? <laughs> it, it does. It does. But it's, it's little things like, you know, if – I have to have uh, a groove for the top to slide in and out, and I need a groove for the bottom. Well, you know, in order to do that with a half lap configuration, they have to be blind grooves. Otherwise, the groove will stick through on the end, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out ways to do that, and, you know, it comes down to go ahead and plow the groove through and plug it <laughs> yeah. with ingrain because it's ingrain that's showing. So it's really easy to plug it. So, I've, you know, you go to the, the extra step of the little off cuts when I've actually been sizing the pieces 
keeping those offcuts like right from the same board. So not only is it ingrain, but it's also the ingrain that came out of right next to where I'm trying to plug it. You nice. know, it's just little stuff like that, figuring out ways that I can just make one rip cut and then have all the parts for the box and just a matter of cross cutting them apart and everything. So right, right. and you know what? No uh, one's gonna notice that. No, no one will anyway. Right. Um, it's me that will notice it more than <laughs> right. anything you, else. You have to live with it, but so you know, I've got that, and then after that, I've got a whole bunch of stuff waiting for me at the lathe that I've got to turn. But I blame that on Penn State Industries because the stuff hasn't shown up yet from the Cyber Monday sale, so <laughs> I can't do any of that until the little project parts show up. Yeah, it's all their fault. Yeah, so I will certainly be probably working in the shop Christmas Eve around you know <laughs> eleven fifty nine. Yeah, nice <laughs> spraying on the last coats of lacquer. Yeah. <laughs> going to be fun. So a typical Christmas build. Cool. Sounds good. What about you, Jay? What's up? Uh, my bench is actually completely empty. It's uh, I'm in between projects, so uh, I take the time to completely clean the shop, get it all nice and spotless so the next project is inviting and welcoming. And the next project will either be the ibuildit.ca ultimate box joint jig, the second one, mm-hmm. or a trash can for my kitchen. And it's probably going to be the box joint jig because it's more interesting and I'll save the trash can for like the week of christmas or something when no one's gonna be watching videos anyway yeah, yeah garbage video for uh <laughs> for garbage week <laughs> and yeah. you could make it with box joints uh i could a i box could join a trash can there's a drawer at the bottom of it so i might actually do that so last time i needed to deal with a box joint jig i went to amazon and uh bought one <laughs> so i'm curious i haven't actually seen this jig this particular one in action what's uh what do you like about it uh, he uses a threaded rod to not advance the box joint jig. Well, kind of sort of advance the box joint jig, but he uses it for indexing. Okay. Um, so if you're using a full curve one-eighth of an inch blade, then all of your joints are in one-eighth of an inch increments. So it's it's you have some leeway, but not like you know crazy amounts of um, possibilities. So it kind of takes uh, a little bit of the... Um, unknown possibilities or, or boils it down to something a little bit more specific. So I really like that particular one. Nice. Oh, it looks good. It looks really well built. Very nice. Well, that sounds good. All right, let's move into what's new. And I've got something here from Steven. He says, came across this gaming table and like the look of it. It's a YouTube video. So we'll put the, uh, the sh- video actually embedded in the show notes for you. And, uh, well, this obviously is good timing for me since I just finished the gaming table and uh, this one's hardcore, you know, it's like someone who definitely has, very specific gaming requirements and needs, including embedding a monitor, a screen, a television inside the center of the table right. and like places for the remotes and, and power and all types of things. And I mean, this one is, uh, you know, way on the other end of the scale of, of geekiness and really just, it, it's not even a table. It's not something you would put in your kitchen necessarily. It's a game room table, you know, so right. uh, definitely in your, your man cave, so to speak. Uh, type of thing, but definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun seeing someone really take it to that level. Very cool. Yeah. He took it to that level with his video too. It's like an hour long video. It is. Yeah. Yes. 51 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's always good. <laughs> that's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of time. I, I like it. I think it's cool when people do that because anyone who really wants to see the details, it's in there, you know? Um, but it certainly, you know, it limits its exposure on YouTube. Unfortunately, when a video is that long, don't ask me how I know that because <laughs> i know that yeah <laughs> all right this next little tidbit comes from dane he says i thought you guys might geek out over this video of sharpening as seen through a microscope 
and we were just talking about this before the show. It is exactly what you would expect to see on this article mm-hmm. about sharpening seen through a microscope. Does it look really rough before sharpening? Yes, it does. And then really smooth after sharpening? Well, really kind smooth. of. Kind of. Okay. I mean, that, that's the interesting thing. The one thing takeaway <laughs> I could say from this is even like a polished, this is a knife blade he's, he's sharpening here, but yeah. you know, even a highly polished blade under a microscope still looks a little jagged. <laughs> it looks a little rough. But if, if anybody who's ever, you know, wondered about, well, what grit do you take it to? And I've always just said, look, it's sharp off of 2000 or 200 grit stone or 200 grit sandpaper. Mm-hmm. It's just not as durable. And if you don't ever really know what that means, look at this, this article and you can really see it under a microscope. When it gets, when you get into the polishing things, the jagged kind of frayed edge is still frayed, but it's, it's much less frayed. And you could see why the edge might be more durable. So no, you don't have to go to 8,000 or 13,000 or whatever Rob Cosman goes to 64 billion <laughs> grit, you know, no, it's, it's sharp on a much lower grit, but you know, your blade is obviously going to be much more uniform and hold out a lot longer if you go to a higher grit. Yeah. So if you were concerned about or confused about that, take a look at this article and it'll be illustrated for you in fun animated GIF format. Pretty cool. Pretty nice. I have the extreme rocking chair from Make It Extreme on YouTube. And if you're not familiar with the uh, Make It Extreme channel, it's a guy who uses uh, metal, wood, concrete, and almost always has some type of uh, movement or mechanism in his projects, which are really nice. Uh, but I particularly like this this rocking chair. He bent all of the metal himself, welded everything together, upholstered everything, and added some extra movements that you typically wouldn't see in a rocking chair. So I really like this. Um, But I really, really do like the creative and unique projects from this channel, uh, Make It Extreme channel. It's not your typical or traditional type of projects. um, But I will give you a forewarning that all of the videos have some up-tempo and heavy music, which is a great thing for people to complain about on YouTube. Yeah. So if that's not your cup of tea, you know, you can always... uh, turn the volume down and listen to your favorite Justin Bieber track in the background <laughs> and soak in all the creativity and all that stuff. But yeah, make it extreme. It's a, it's a really creative channel. That build yeah. is insane. And the, the canopy that moves as you're sitting in the chair moves over top. It's very Jetsons, almost right. like a Jetsons <laughs> chair of some sort. Uh, it's got a USB charger in there so you could charge up your phone and lights on it. I mean, it's, it's pretty badass. It yeah. it really kind of punctuates like why we build stuff ourselves. It's like if you really want like cool features in it, you got to go build it yourself. You know, right. you could shop around to try to find a chair like this and you'll never find one with all these features. And you're like, man, I wish that it had, you know, a Bluetooth charger and, you know, a pizza oven in the under the chair. <laughs> so I don't think it has a pizza oven, but, you know, that's version two. It's just your hot pockets. (laughs) Absolutely. There you go. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. I want to check out more on that channel. I actually was not aware of that channel. So thanks for that, Jay. Well, more importantly, he has another video that I saw, I don't know, uh, about, I guess it was about a month ago. Yeah, it was published a month ago called The Extreme Beer Gun, (laughs) which is well, uh, well worth watching. Cool. Sounds good. (laughs) All right, let's move into our kickback. This is where you say some stuff about things we said in the past. And, uh, And this first one is actually a kickback sort of question. 
he says, well, I didn't put his name down. Darn it. He says, I have an inquiry on Wipe on Polly. I thought I heard read once that Wipe on Polly was really just regular Polly cut in half with mineral spirits. Is that correct? If so, a quick big box search shows a pint of Minwax Wipe on Polly for $12 and a quart of Minwax regular Polly for $11 in his neck of the woods. That's twice as much product for less. If you don't really have mineral spirits uh, or if you don't already have mineral spirits at about eight bucks a quart, you still get a half gallon of Wipe on Polly for $19. Uh, of course, if you don't need that much finish, you'll have to store it properly, but uh, that's a nice potential savings. Thoughts? Uh, he's absolutely right. This is theoretically what a wipe on poly is. They take a full strength polyurethane and dilute it by about 50%, maybe sometimes more. And th- the weird thing is, I know that, and I've done that in the past, and it, it's okay. <laughs> but there's it's it's a combination of two things, laziness, and then have you ever had that thing where like, okay, if you get a powdered Nestle Quick, or something like that, and you make it yourself, it doesn't necessarily taste exactly the same as the one that was pre-made for you and comes in the bottle ready to go. And I don't know whether it's like the water that they use or the canning process. Like there's a lot of things that are like this where you make the version at home and it, it isn't, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't either taste the same, obviously don't taste your varnish. Um, but I've done this and I feel like I get better results and more predictable results with the stuff that comes pre-mixed in the can. That might just be my imag- imagination and it might just be my laziness convincing me of that instead of having to mix my own, but it's already nice and mixed and consistent and goes on perfectly. So theoretically though, yes, absolutely. You could buy that full strength stuff, save yourself the money and, you know, put it into other cans, maybe get some bloxygen or do, you know, inert gas type spray and uh, put it in the cans you're not going to use for a while. And this way they'll keep a little bit longer. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's your imagination. I mean, I, wholeheartedly stand behind the laziness factor. That's the only reason that I don't do this. Yeah. But, um, you know, just think about how this has been produced. Certainly there are varying qualities of mineral spirits, mm-hmm. you know, higher, more highly refined mineral spirits. So it's pure. It's kind of like the difference between, uh, like naphtha and, um, right. Right. Um, you know, naphtha is really, really refined, very pure. Um, so they, they may be using something along that line, but just the production, method. It's probably been done in some sort of vacuum environment. So they don't have to worry about any curing or any of that. It's mixed really, really well. It's like you can stir your own paint or you can use that really cool like jiggly machine yeah. at Home Depot and it's gonna <laughs> you know make it better. So right. I'm sure that there's there's something to that. There's no question that but you know, I'd be curious depends. to hear I mean not to drag this wipe on poly conversation out like five shows, but I'd be curious <laughs> to hear if anyone else has the same impression and experience that I have with that. Jay, have you you use wipe on poly in your work? I've used it once, literally okay. one time, and I think I, I purchased the pre-mixed stuff, and it's still sitting on the, the finishing <laughs> supply rack. Okay. So you nice. liked it, apparently. Um, <laughs> no complaints, I guess you'd say. Yeah, okay. All right, Shannon, you're up. All right, this comes from Adam. He says, I'm listening to episode 284, and I wanted to add that for workbench material, semi-trailer flooring makes awesome tabletops. It's laminated white and red oak. Thicknesses are 1 and an 8 to 1 and 3 eighths. It's 12 inches wide. And the cool part is each slab is 53 feet long. Now, that's a that's bench. Feet, people, 53 feet. Uh, I've built tabletops and bar tops out of it. He actually included a, a photograph in his email of, of a bar top. Um, I agree. It's cool stuff. We actually sell um, truck bed and semi-trailer flooring. A um, little bit higher end stuff. We use South American Carewing. Most, or at least, I should say, our customers who buy it from us, they want Carewing because it's incredibly hard, similar to eBay mm-hmm. in its hardness. 
um, and weather resistance. And yeah, we specifically order it. We don't order it in 12 inch widths. Uh, we're more eight, eight to 10 inch widths, but yeah, you get them in, in some crazy lengths. Wow. Um, and you know, when we end up buying them, it's, you know, you, the entire shipping container is full of them. You've got to get a special shipping container that's long enough to hold it, but, uh, it's cool stuff. It's just crazy to see a board that long too. Yeah. So now he's not, I, uh, my first impression was he was talking about like repurposed materials. So this is just brand new. Some, some dealers have this. Stuff oh, I think inside. he is talking about repurposed, but yes, there are also dealers that will buy it. Oh, okay. You can buy it from them. Gotcha. But I, I, I definitely think. I mean, you're not going to go and buy one or two boards of this. You know, right. people who buy this stuff buy it by the truckload, by the container, yeah. the shipping container. I mean, um, and and that's the only way that we can that we can actually buy it abroad. We can't go and buy five thousand board feet of this stuff. We okay. buy twenty five thousand board feet because that's the only way they ship it. Gotcha. So yeah, I I don't think you're gonna have a lot of luck trying to go workbench builders going out saying, well, I just need one piece and I can build my whole bench out of it. <laughs> one please. I don't think you're gonna have a lot of success without. Um, <laughs> so go to you know trucking companies and you can get their their reclaimed stuff. The only problem you have to worry about is you know what might have seeped into those boards over the years. Yeah, as always the case with pallets and all that other fun stuff. Yeah, I mean this I think will be better than some of the pallet stuff out there. But you know, I mean mainly before you run that through the planer, make sure there's nothing there that's going to eat your knives because uh, you never know what was on that thing. <laughs> Lots of rocks and stuff that's going to eat stuff up, and yeah, you know, solvents and things you never know. Cool. Fifty-three feet is crazy, crazy long. Um, but okay, so Bob says that. AJ had a question about mounting tool wells in the middle of his bench. Popular Woodworking had an article about the 21st century workbench by Robert Lang in 2008 that incorporated this very concept. AJ may want to look at that article for some options. Oh, cool. I've got that video, actually, Bob Lang's uh, 21st century workbench. I wonder if it's in there. I haven't watched it in a while. I will go check it out and let you know. Yeah, yeah, and maybe we'll give it away on the Wood Talk giveaway. We need to do that. Oh, we're so far behind on this. Because Mark's probably had it since October 2008. I think I have. Yeah, well, remember the, <laughs> the Wood Talk um, review show that we did for a while there? It was one of those that we reviewed. So that's uh, a good video. Just haven't watched it in a while. All right, let's move into our voicemail. Got one here from AJ. You know, AJ, the guy who's building the workbench. He called in a couple times. <laughs> right, now, who we now, just talked about. Yes. And the kickback from Jay. Exactly. Jay yep, here we go. So I'm still working on the workbench very slowly, but I want to get into something different. I want to do a small project. I've been a uh, segmented wood turner pretty much most of my time is woodworking. I've never really gotten into building furniture, and that's the direction I'm trying to head uh, with, you know, buying tools and reading and learning up and listening to you guys. I just wanted to know what you would think would be a good, you know, first project for, you know, for someone who knows a lot about woodworking but hasn't really done a lot in terms of building furniture. Um, small end table, small, just something that you think I'd be able to get through and, you know, make it well and build up my confidence a little bit to be able to dive into some other projects uh, as I'm, you know, taking this hour long take to get the work that's done. So, um, yeah, anything you've given would be fantastic. Thank you so much and uh, keep up the great show. Love it. All right. Very nice. So first quote unquote real woodworking project, Jay, what would you recommend for something like that? I'd say like a, a simple table, something that's not too crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, just four legs, four aprons and a top, um, choose a joinery that you probably haven't done before. Maybe some mortise and tenon joinery, but something that'll give you a quick win or a confidence 
but something that's not going to kill you to just pull your hair out to get it done. Right. Yeah, good suggestion. I was thinking something like a shaker table. Uh, the drawer mm-hmm. might be a little much depending on how how much you want to jump in, but if you, you add the drawer, now you've got your mortise and tenon, you've got your tapered legs, you've got your panel glue up for the top, and you've got drawer joinery and you know, whatever. Yeah, you and nobody says you have to use dovetails, right? Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, if, that's, just, if that's something that scares you off, you know, you could just use rabbits and you know, that's it or rabbits and pegs or something. Yeah. Table is definitely a good one. And you know what? There isn't anybody out there who won't say, Oh, I'd like to have a nice new end table. Right. I mean, unless you've got this perfect set (laughs) made custom for you, most people, uh, you could probably find someone if you don't need it, who will enjoy that table. It's very easy to give that stuff away. So, right. Cool. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to go a different direction since he's a Turner Uh and already has that. I think if he can embrace some of that skill, Mm which might increase his comfort level going in the next direction. I say build like a shop stool or something, okay. you know, um, you can turn your legs and then you have to deal a little bit with some tenon joinery, um, challenge yourself and make, uh, like, a, a imagine like a Windsor style seat with some rake and splay to those legs. You've got to play around with the ankles a little bit. I think you could, uh, really challenge yourself, but since you're also like doing a lot of work at the lathe, you've got that strong comfort zone. Yeah. So I think you, uh, um, get a nice mix there or just make a shaker table with turned legs and it'll look awful. There you go. <laughs> but it would work. It would definitely work. Wait a minute. I made a shaker table with turned legs. Oh really? What are you saying? My bad. <laughs> yeah, it was for It was for your woodworkers fighting cancer thing. The first one. Oh, oh okay. You big jerk. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Excellent in that case. Yes, I actually love that one. I meant to say that. Um, eccentrically <laughs> turned cabriole legs. What are you talking about? That was hard. Right. I'm making a bad joke, sir. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to uh, Bob's voicemail. Save me, Bob. This is Bob from Tulip City. Hey, I need some help. I'm looking for a wood that I can make a jewelry box out of, approximately 5 inches by 10 inches by 12 inches. Uh, Lift the lid, and you've got storage in one drawer across the front. I'm looking for something that would stand out but is easy to work with. Most of the woods that I see seem to be curly or wavy or in such a way that it looks like it's going to be difficult for somebody like me to work with. So I'm looking for a wood that's got the most bang without being too difficult to work with, either uh, domestic or exotic. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. And um, Shannon got the love last time. How about we send it north to Matt? Take care, buddy. Where's, where did, where's my love? Why's <laughs> Matt got to get the love right away? Wow. Does that mean that by default it's got to go to Jay? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, all right. So wood species this is like a completely subjective thing, honestly. So Shannon, what do you think based on something that pops and is good looking, but isn't so difficult to work with? Yeah, see, that's tough because I think pop and, you know, good looking is so in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. I, mean, I love straight grain wood. I think quarter sawn, riff sawn stuff looks gorgeous. Um, and, and depending on the box, I think, you know, so it could be any species, but we'll just assume we're talking about like a figure type thing. Um, <clears throat> hmm. it almost I sounds like he wants find... to avoid figured though. It, like What's he does, it, it sounds to me like he wants to avoid the figured material. So he's well, looking for something that's simple, but has some pizzazz to it just by but, its but color. Here's the thing. The more figured the wood gets, I actually find sometimes it's easier to work. Think about burls. It's pretty much all end grain. 
Um, so, you know, you got to have a sharp blade to deal with it, but there's really no grain direction at that point. So it makes things a little bit easier to deal with as compared to like a tiger maple where you've got alternating in grain and, and face grain and you got tear out left and right. Yeah. Um, so you could go like to the extreme and go super, super figured. Um, but you know, I think you can make a strong statement with any of the exotic woods that are out there just because of the color palette, you know, you think Bubinga, Bubinga is harder to work because it's so bloody hard yeah. um but grain direction other than a little bit of reversing grain here and there you can at least read it and and follow it more than anything else <laughs> right um and that's going to make a strong statement just because of that exotic color so i think really any of the normal not normal like straight ish grain exotics you know are going to make a big statement yeah i'm i'm thinking I'm thinking, look at mahogany, you know, if you could find it, especially if there's different types, if they have Honduran mahogany or Fiji mahogany, like the plantation style, uh, mahogany, it's the same stuff, whatever. Um, <laughs> if you are able to, I don't know, I've worked some mahoganies that are really, really dense, but most of them I find very easy to work with. And I know you might have, you know, squirrely grain issues and things like that if you're using hand tools or whatnot. Uh, but I found this stuff pretty easy to work with. Um, and it, it routes really well and have had no issues with it. And depending on the cut, cause there's some African mahogany that I've seen out there that is just super bleached out. It just looks like terrible. It doesn't have a really good color and it doesn't age well, but there are some that actually have a, you know, really, really nice sort of striation to it. And you see this, this figure, but it doesn't really make it difficult to work. So if you could find some of that stuff, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, yeah, I, I find I, this I would, a pleasure to work I would with. skip the African mahogany, the species, I mean, and go straight to superior utility. Yeah, that's true uh, too. You've got much better consistency in grain, much better, um, like hardness and re- retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find Utley works similar to genuine mahogany or the South American stuff. Um, I mean, nothing, nothing's going to work as great as genuine mahogany, but the genuine stuff. Sure, but, sure. You know, that's a lot harder to find and a lot more expensive. Ajay, do you use a lot of exotics in your work? <laughs> no. Okay. I've used box store pine for the vast majority of everything that I've done and I've had pretty good results with it. You stay, stay away from the knots and, and uh, like Shannon said, you just get the quarter sawn or straight grain pieces. So my first thought would be, you know, any straight grain pine would be fine for me. But uh, recently I've started uh, playing around with sapili and walnut Mm -hmm. and I've got quite a bit left over of some really straight, straight grain sapili. That's just really easy to work with. And I absolutely love the way that it looks as well. Yeah. So that'd be a good suggestion. Cool. Yeah. Good wood. I mean, I, the other, the last thing I'll say is he's talking about a box here. Mm-hmm. So you've got small amount of real estate, and it's something that a lot of people lose sight of because you look at this board, you know, this eight foot long board, and you go, "Man, that's beautiful." Now, what you almost need is like a little piece of plexiglass that's like the size of your box, and just hold that as like a window over the board, and that's all you're going to see. You know, so if you've got this board that looks beautiful in eight foot, it might not be all that exciting in an eight inch piece. <laughs> yeah, just a know? small section. Um, which is why I go back to the straight grain stuff because there's something very kind of honest about just straight, you know, riffs on type stock that just looks really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gives you the the kind of blank slate that if you wanted to go super crazy on the lid, 
you know, some sort of burl or something in the lid, then it doesn't compete with one another. So think about your scale. Um, when when you're choosing your wood too. Well, and think about uh, embellishments as well. You know, you could do some sort of um, different species in a spline. You can do inlay or a perimeter inlay. There's all kinds of things you can do to make it pop visually um, and sort of enhance the look of that background wood as well. So, I mean, boxes are just in, you know, you can go in so many directions with them. It's ridiculous. All right. Well, now's a good time to hear from our sponsor, tablelegs.com. Let's face it, folks, sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have, or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's just a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. They offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom tabletops, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50-plus furniture feet from 4 inches to 12 inches high? And, of course, they have tons of legs in various turn styles. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. You can get free shipping on your first order over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form, or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole, mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at tablelegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth, and carefully boxed for safe, rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money-back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components, and 95% of what they sell is made in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom by their staff of 30. Check out TableLegs.com and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on your first order over $50. That's TableLegs.com. All right, let's jump into our email. First one we have here is from Brian. He says, I recently scored a majority of components to build out my wine cellar from Craigslist. To my happy surprise, the wood is walnut. After sanding off the horrible dark stain that it came with, uh, the walnut looks fantastic and is looking for a finish. I'm a novice at best when it comes to finishing a project, so I'm looking for something easy that's hard to screw up. I'm also concerned with water-based versus oil-based for off-gassing issues in a small, well-sealed area. All right, so walnut is something that, uh, you know... I just did the uh, sculpted rocker out of walnut. And there's a lot of ways you can go with it. But I wound up using a product called tried and true varnish oil. Now, normally with an oil-based finish, based on what he's saying, you know, in a confined space like that, it wouldn't be a good idea to use something that's oil-based. But that's only if it's not a pure oil. Pure oils don't really have that terrible off-gassing issue and that smell that lingers. Now, they do have a smell, but I actually find it kind of pleasant to smell that. It's not uh, really nasty to, I mean, some people might not like it, so it's good to test it with, um, you know, the the folks in your house to make sure they're not offended by it. Uh, But tried and true varnish oil is great. The stuff doesn't have any thinners. It's totally environmentally friendly. You could put it on with your bare hands if you wanted to. It would be messy, though, so don't do that. And uh, it's not the most durable finish. You know, it's going to give you a very close-to-the-wood kind of finish. You apply, you know, maybe five, six coats. That's what I did on the chair. And even then, if I uh, clean it with a damp rag, I may actually still get a little grain raising out of it. So it's really not producing a film on the surface. But it will be better, uh, I would say, than using just plain old linseed oil. This is a polymerized linseed oil, and they have some varnish resins in it. So pretty good product. Now, if you want to avoid all altogether avoid the oils, maybe look at Endurovar. 
It's a general finishes product and it's water-based. You can brush it on. It's got a nice handsome appearance to it, the ambering that happens when you put it on the surface and might give you the look that you're looking for if you need a little bit more of a film, something with a little bit more protection. Um, so check out uh, Endurovar. Those, those would be my two that recommendations. That one's become my walnut finish of choice now. Oh, I really? I love Endurovar. Yeah, that trestle table that I... I finished this summer. I did Endurovar on it. Um, the bed that I just built on Cherry was Endurovar. Nice. Um, granted, I, I bought two gallons at the time, so I've got to use the stuff. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, it's just it's awesome. Like the dry time finish between coats and everything, yeah. it's ridiculous. I put on four coats on that bed in one day. Very nice. Good stuff. So are you spraying or are you brushing? Uh, for the bed, I brushed it on. For the table, I wiped it on. Oh, no uh, kidding. How'd that go? Uh, great. Yeah. Sometimes the, actually wiping, the brushing, I didn't, I thought I was going to have to brush and then like rag it out like a la David Marks. Um, yeah, yeah. didn't even, it leveled itself. And granted, you got to have a nice brush, one that flows out really nicely, but it self leveled all on its own. And with the brush, my God, I was able to build up uh, a great film mm-hmm. in like three coats. Nice. Um, I put a fourth coat on just because I felt like I should <laughs> since I'm at it. You know, four coats is kind of my go-to, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was necessary. It's good stuff. Wow. Good deal. All right, Jay, you're up. Uh, Dave says, I'm about to build my first cabinet for our laundry room and have a question about the depth of drawer I should build. My cabinet depth is 28 inches, which is the distance from the front of the washing machine to the wall. Is there a good practice for the gap you should leave behind the drawer, or if, is there a good practice for the gap you should leave between the back of the drawer and the back of the cabinet? And then what length of drawer slides should I use? As far as the length of the drawer slides, I always just, you know, whatever length the drawer is, that's the length of the drawer slide I would go with. Uh, but the cool thing is, like, when you're making your own stuff, it's, it's, at the end of the day, it's completely up to you, so you can do whatever you want. But if you're going for, uh, let's say, uh, like a utilitarian project where you want maximum amount of storage space, then I would typically still leave like, you know, three eighths or a half of an inch gap between the back of the drawer and the back of the cabinet, just so you kind of guarantee no interference issues. Um, but maximum space on a 28 inch cabinet, that's an awfully long drawer. So as far as the size of drawers and um, the drawer slides, my best advice would be to interact with the drawers that you already have in your house and find out what you do and don't like about them. So my kitchen drawers are deep enough, but I wish they had full extension slides in them. So they're, they're standard, you know, 24 inch cabinets, whatever size that standard drawer is. I've never said, man, I wish I had uh, one or two more inches at the back of this drawer for extra storage. I've never said that, but oftentimes I said, man, I wish this thing had some full extension slides because Pretty much no matter what, the thing you need is always in the back and buried and on top of stuff. <laughs> right. And if you're using like, you know, three quarter, uh, three quarter or, you know, two thirds extensions, uh, Euro slides or something like that, it's kind of a pain in the butt. So my suggestion would be to first interact with, with the drawers, like I said, and then I probably wouldn't go more than 24 inch deep for that drawer. And I would suggest full extension slides the same length as the drawer. Yeah. I mean, I imagine there's a point, especially in a confined space in a laundry room where if the drawer is too deep, I mean, are you actually going to be able to pull it out as far as you need to? And in, in, in a way that makes <laughs> right. any sense, you know, so, uh, the 24 sounds great. And also look into overextension slides. Um, you can, you can pull out even further, like a full extension slide is good, but I've done this in the shop. I've used overextension slides and they actually come out beyond the case itself. And, and that's super convenient if you've got that clearance space in front of the cabinet. Uh, it's kind of a neat way to go. 
Right. Cool. Nice. I had never heard of overextension. Well, now you have, sir. Four slides. Hmm. Sounds painful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This, uh, this comes from Scott. He says, when you're making raised panel doors, do you use the same thickness pieces for the panel as the rails and styles? I assume if you do that, you need to make a back cut. Then the back of the door, uh, the back of the, there. Then the back of the door, the panel. No, it, it's not me. This is just how it's worded. Okay. Then sure. the back of the door, the we'll panel is that. flush with the rails and styles. <laughs> no commercial cabinet I've seen has that back cut. It appears they just use a thinner piece for the panel. What do you guys do personally? Um, do you make the back cut and then use the same thickness, or do you use say three quarter for the rails and styles? And then half inch for the panel, which brings up the next point. What do you guys think of using ply or MDF for panels if you're painting the panel? It's kind of like two questions in one. I don't know if we need Ooh. to penalize. Shannon for that. doesn't like those. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> um, first things first, I think uh, we've touched on this a couple of times in this episode. Uh, one of the reasons that it's fun to make stuff yourself is who cares what the commercial cabinet guys are doing because <laughs> you're doing it yourself. <laughs> right. So. You know, obviously commercial cabinetry and commercial shops, always a good idea as a rule of thumb. Could you get some efficiency and kind of mass production type ideas? But, uh, you know, I think dependent upon who that commercial cabinet maker is, you may or may not find that back cut. Uh, personally, I sell a lot of lumber to um, like high end cabinet makers and they all use full thickness material with a back cut. Um, I, my old panel raising bit had a back cutter built into it. So it was still a single pass at the router table or the shaper, but it was making that back cut automatically so that it was flush on the inside like that. Um, you know, but you'll also see just that half inch panel stuck into a groove or whatever. Um, and you've got a little bit of a reveal on the inside. I think it's just a, it's almost a stylistic thing. If you're doing a raised panel, you've got to be careful about the thickness of your starting piece um, so that you don't end up with something that's too thin. Um, you know, when it comes, once it, that cutter cuts down to that little tongue on the side, um, sometimes you can get really, really thin there. Then you've got all kinds of issue with uh, potential wood movement because you've got thickness in the middle and thin at the sides. And, you know, it's it's nothing to be horribly concerned about, but it's just something to, to think about. Um, I think about uh, my buddy Matt. <laughs> who just made a raised panel uh, door for one of his cabinets in the shop and realized that the raised panel was going to expose the inset hinges that he put on the back side. <laughs> just one of those things with starting with thinner material, just be aware of the tooling that you're using to make that raised panel uh, and make sure you plan for that thinner, thinner piece there. So personally, um, I make a back cut. I like a flush inside. Um, so that the panel is at the same level as the uh, the rails and styles, um, but I think that's a personal thing. You guys do anything differently than that? I yeah, I mean it depends. I don't really make a lot of raised panel doors, frankly. Um, but most <laughs> of the cutter, most of the cutters I have in the shop have that back cutter on it. So if I wanted to do something other than that, I'd probably either get a new bit or see if those are able to be disassembled to remove the back cutter. Um, right. Actually, you could probably just get away with not you know positioning the work so that you just don't engage the back cutter. But, um, I don't know. I'd be, it, it's nice, but I just wonder in terms of like long term, is it worth it to have that extra material there? Do you want the doors to be a little bit lighter, uh, as opposed to being heavier? That's a lot of extra weight to be put into multiple doors, especially on a larger scale project. So, um, I don't know. I think it's just totally personal preference. I don't think it matters that much. 
No, I, I agree. I, I think it's kind of what your tooling is, what you have. Yeah. Um, you know, commercially, you're going to find, obviously, they're trying to save as much as they can on time, but also material. Yeah. Um, and if you can buy, you know, material that's thinner, um, you can get a deal on it and not have to deal with it. Uh, as far as using engineered products for the panels, um, going back to commercial shops, it's almost 100% these days that they're using some sort of ply or MDF, and then they're skinning it with a veneer. Mm-hmm. Um, just about every single door manufacturer that I sell to now is using natural, you know, real wood for the rails and styles, and they're using uh, MDF a lot of times, skinned MDF for the panels. Just because you think about, you know, captive, especially exterior doors, the issue that comes from wood movement on an exterior door, if you're going to eliminate that from the equation by using some sort of engineered material, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, nice. Uh, what about you, Jay? Do you um, do much in the way of raised panels at all? I don't do much raised panels at all, but every time that I've done something like that, it's been on the table saw. So I'm oh, yeah, okay. not really um, limited by the tooling as far as with the back cut or not. But I've always typically just, you know, half inch if it's going to be a raised panel or something like that and leave the inside nice and flush. It's yeah. just easier for me. Yeah, it just feels it feels like it makes it a little more lightweight, you know, just your yeah. three quarters makes it heavy just for the sake of being heavy. Uh, yeah. But then again, if you've got all four quarters stock. Are you going to waste it just to get half inch panels? You know, right. or, yeah, that's a good point. You know, you know what I mean, or just figure know. out back cut it and, and get it in there. Well, it is funny because I think about this. You know, I, the last time I made a raised panel with a machine was uh, years ago. So um, I don't back cut now that I think about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> when, when I'm using a rabbit plane, or like last night, I was using a panel raising plane specifically for this. No, I don't make a back cut because then I've got to go and lay out and cut on the back side of that when I can just do it in one one swipe. Well, you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> one type of swipe with, yes. the, with the plane. Exactly. 39 swipes with the panel raising plane. Yes. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, you know what? If you want to support the show, you can. You can actually set up a recurring donation over at woodtalkshow.com. Hit that side column. Uh, you can get in the running for a Wood Talk t-shirt at the, the giveaway there on the giveaway page. You can also pick up a t-shirt at the Wood Whisperer store. That's twwstore.com. And if you want to help us out by uh, just giving us a little love, cost you nothing, just go in the iTunes, look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a sweet five-star rating, just like Matt Space Cement Workshop did. Uh, this is interesting. He says, they're all good, but one stands out. I've been listening to Wood Talk for years and value the information and opinions the guys share. All three hosts know their stuff, but one of them stands above the others. I won't name names, but I love his self-deprecating style and his loquacious answers uh, are a like like a delicious bite of chortellini. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know who he's talking about. So uh, that's a great way to compliment someone because we like I could see Matt going, yep, he's talking about me. <laughs> and Shannon's going to bed tonight well, going, that was <clears> nice of him to compliment me. <laughs> well, I mean, he said Chortellini, so I'm going to say it's Matt. It's got to be Matt, right? It's got to be Matt. That's what I'm thinking. But when I, you think Matt, you think loquacious. I don't know. We're all pretty loquacious. <laughs> Quite frankly, that's what we get crap for. Uh, but yeah, Matt definitely does stand above the rest. No doubt about it. Uh, all right. So, hey, Jay, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me. All right. And you got to appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You got to check uh, Jay out on YouTube. It's Jay's Custom Creations is the name of his channel. Go to jayscustomcreations.com where all of his videos live and plans that you can uh, get a hold of. He recently made, um, I remember watching the Miter Station series. You just recently made the, what is it, the Mission Style Coat Rack is the latest video? 
Yeah, that's the latest one this past weekend. Okay, very nice. And if you haven't seen Jay, you, you just got to check it out. His editing style is one of a kind. Um, he has a lot of double uh, imagery. He has his assistant who looks a lot like him. It's amazing. Um, very, very similar. Same haircut and everything. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but your editing style in the videos is, is a lot of fun. It's a blast. And it's a really creative way to present this stuff. And frankly, these days, that's kind of that's kind of what you need because we're so many of us making videos. You got to do something to stand out a little bit. And yeah. uh, frankly, um, I'm in all of your editing style. You make us all look like amateurs. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but thank you. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. And if nothing else, you can play the J Bates drinking game. Every time the domino comes out, <laughs> drink. Uh, yeah. I didn't even, I should have brought that up on the show. Uh, I know it's a sore subject right now. Darn <laughs> yeah, it. That, that is missed opportunity. Okay. Maybe next time. Uh, all right, Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Alrighty. If you've got comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you have several different ways to contact us. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy schmancy new contact form at WoodTalkShow.com slash contact. Go figure, right? Yeah. Or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for show notes or downloads from today's show or any previous episodes, you can find them at WoodTalkShow.com. Very nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Thanks, Jay. See you later.